Today, you're about to be blessed in a big way. Pastor Noah Berrigan is going to be bringing the word and teaching on how you want to be free from a deadly sin that can turn into an incredible virtue to make your life amazing. So right now, right now, I want to ask you in joining me in welcoming Pastor Noah. Wow, welcome to Crossroads this morning. Again, my name is Noah, and uh, Pastor Chuck, thank you. Uh, let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray for our pastor right now and for everyone that's uh, getting sick nowadays. So let's, let's pray for him and for Pam and that uh, the Lord would show them favor. Lord, uh, we praise you and thank you for our pastor. I thank you, God, for the way that we're watching so many lives impacted because of his faithfulness. We pray for healing over him. We pray for protection over him and Pam. And we pray, God, for those that... Um, are dealing with either family members or uh, just uh, uh, people that are dealing with COVID and sickness and different ailments. God, we pray uh, that you would truly um, bring healing and comfort. And we ask God that you would just eradicate COVID in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. So I thought I'd start with a question this morning. How many of you guys have ever gone to the store hungry? Man, I am the worst. I am convinced that these stores are set up to uh, set you up for failure. Uh, it's, it's crazy on how they're designed, right? You walk in, there's flowers on the entrance. Right away, it's appealing to your eyes, right? And they got freshly baked bread from the bakery, uh, right? right? And, and immediately, you're like, wow. And, and there's no clocks there, no windows, and you could just lose, lose track of time. No wonder my wife's like, you took forever at the store today. Right, and there's times that I'll walk in and I'm super hungry. She gives me a list, and I, I have to stay focused. And and I'm trying to look at the list. I'm, I'm like, okay, uh, she wants laundry detergent, the non-toxic kind. Do you know what that means? It means I have to read labels, right? And then she wants the cage-free eggs. So I'm walking around the store looking for all of the things on my list. And uh, before you know it, she gets mad at me because I end up with everything but the items she asked me for. And when I'm hungry. I'm walking around the store with, um, with a shopping cart, and before you know it, this is what my cart looks like, okay? How many of you guys like Fruity Pebbles? Come on, best cereal in the world, right? I, I got Fruity Pebbles. I got Spam. I mean, come on, who eats this stuff? Whoa, uh, you guys like Spam? I, I don't even, is this even real? You know, and then Gummy Bears, come on, best candy in the world, right? And I, and I begin to, uh, Vanilla Wafers? Oh, come on. Chips Ahoy. I like Oreos better. Uh, and then uh, the Flamin' Hot Cheetos. Got to have these. You know, some people eat these with sour cream. It's kind of weird, but uh, oh, here go the Oreos, right? And I'm like, and, and you better believe that bread got me. <laughs> you got the freshly baked bread. And, uh, and oftentimes when I think about this, it's, it's, it's true. It's so easy to lower my standards when I'm hungry. Right, and I have to set myself up for success. I gotta eat before I go to the store. I gotta make sure that I'm, that I'm fully satisfied so that nothing looks appeasing to me. And I think that in a similar way, when it comes to our lives, that, that God wants us to be super picky with what we allow into our hearts and into our minds. Because it's so easy for us to lower our standards when we're hungry. We've been in a series talking about the seven deadly sins. And these sins are deadly because they bring destruction to our lives and to the people around us. And today, we're going to deal with the, uh, the deadly sin of lust. Yes, thank you. I got the best topic in the world, right? 
But lust, like all the deadly sins, could lead to destruction and put you in situations where it's almost, and I'm saying almost intentionally, it's almost impossible to recover from. And I know that oftentimes when it comes to this idea of lust, for many of us, our mind goes directly to the sexual lust. Now, that's a big part of it, but it's not all-inclusive when it comes to this area of it. So, so what is lust? There's a couple of different definitions that the Bible gives us. Um, the first one is this. It's, it's this word pathos. It's a passionate desire, not just sexual but those of the body for food, for comfort, for ease. Uh, it could lead to gluttony. And it's all the, uh, the things that aren't necessarily bad, but could be bad if it becomes a, a matter of lust. The other one is this word called epithumia. And this is a desire for what is forbidden, right? Like when you tell your kids, don't touch, and what do they do? They, they, they want to touch. Because you just told them, don't do it. It's that forbidden that forbidden. Um, uh, that, that forbidden desire, and it's, it's a desire for something that's stronger. I love this definition. It is here, a desire for what is, it's an insatiable desire, something that is so hard to satisfy, an appetite for something that cannot be satisfied. And I want you to look at what the Apostle John says when it comes to this idea of lust. In 1 John Chapter 2, verse 15, uh, the Apostle John, one of Jesus' best friends, he is encouraging believers. So if you're not a Christian in here this morning, I want you to pay attention because I'm hoping that by the end, this makes sense. Because I believe everything in the Bible, everything that God wrote for our instruction makes us better for life and at life. So pay attention. For everyone in here that claims to be a Christ follower, this is for us. Okay, you guys ready for it? He says, do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Great, John, what does that mean? Does that mean I gotta become Amish? What? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And I think that oftentimes when people look at this, pos uh, this passage, immediately we have this posture of, okay, so that means don't drink, don't, don't, uh, don't be involved in worldly music, don't do all, let's stay as far away from the world as we can. That's not what this means. The word for world is, is this idea that, um, uh, that it's a system of values and goals from which God is excluded. It is whatever you value most, it's where I set my affection and my attitude ultimately at the expense of other people and before the Lord. And here, uh, John, he refers to three different areas of lust. Uh, these areas are areas that we all struggle in. Uh, Adam and Eve were tempted in these areas. Jesus himself was tempted in this area. The first one that he talks about is this, the lust of the flesh, right? Uh, Jesus was tempted with this when Satan, I mean, Jesus had been, uh, he had been fasting for 40 days and Satan tells him, command these stones to become bread. You know, the good bread. Command them to become bread because at that point, 40 days of fasting, he's hungry. And at that point, even rocks seem amazing. And he tempts them in this, in this area. And it's, it's this wrong focus on the things that you can tangibly see, feel, and touch. Things like food, drink, comfort, sex. It's the word epithumia. It's that insatiable 
desire, desiring something above everything else. And for John to focus on our desire is to focus on what could never satisfy. And um, wouldn't you agree, church, that desire in itself isn't necessarily bad? I mean, I could desire an In-N-Out like double-double, and that's, that's a good thing. When I'm hungry, right, if I'm eating healthy, probably not so much. But uh, desire isn't bad. And, and the Bible says that you and I were created in the image of God. And the way that he created us was to be needy uh, for him. And all of our desires should actually point us to the source, to him, and, and it should point us to God. And all of us, me and you, uh, all of us, we were born with a desire to be truly satisfied and whole. In fact, when Jesus came, he said, this is why I came, so that you would be satisfied. He says in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. What's Jesus's purpose? My purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. But there is an enemy out there. And he wants to kill, steal, and destroy everything that God is for, including your satisfaction, including your life and my life. Think about this. God created sexual desire. It's not a bad thing. And I don't know about you, but that's something to praise God for, right? Yeah, he created that. In the very beginning of time, it's a, it's a beautiful picture in Genesis chapter 1. You got this image of a father walking his first, the first image of a father walking his girl down the aisle, presenting Eve to Adam. And they become one. They become married. And in Genesis chapter uh, 2, verse 24, it says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. So much more than hugs, Okay. And they shall become one flesh, so much further than third base, okay? And it says, and the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. And the same God who created the heavens and the earth, the moons and the stars, and everything it contains, he created you, he created me, and he also created our sexuality. He designed sex, and he knows how, to, how it works. In other words, sex was God's idea. He was the inventor of it. It is a good thing. Uh, the first commandment that Adam and Eve were given was what? Was be fruitful and multiply. And when we keep it in God's ordained design, uh, in the context of marriage, there will be no shame, no disappointment, and no embarrassment. But unfortunately, there's a lot of people who associate sex with shame. People struggle with their sexual feelings and they feel bad because they say this, holy people should not feel sexual. And I've seen person after person, and not everyone, but I've, I've sat with young people and people that struggle with their sexuality and they pray, God, please take this away. Please take this away. Take these feelings away. Listen, church, God takes away shame. He takes away fear. He takes away guilt. He does not take away your, your humanity. And your, your, uh, your sexuality is part of your humanity. He's not going to say, amen, we can clap for that. We can keep clapping. <laughs> There's a God who loves you unconditionally and is for you and wants you to have incredible sex in the context of marriage. But like any other thing that we read in the scriptures that is for our enjoyment, when taken out of God's original design, it could be incredibly hurtful to ourselves and to the people around us. What's God's original design? It's this. It's that all sexual activity is to be between a man and a woman in a lifetime commitment we call marriage. 
Anytime it's taken out of this context, it is hurtful, and it brings shame and guilt, and it becomes an object of lust. Now, we live in a culture today, and some of you guys are looking at me like, okay, Pastor, here we go. We live in a culture in a time today where people say sex is not a big deal. And people right now, we see they're attacking uh, the church because we tell people to stay pure. And we say that God's best is for you to remain pure and holy and set apart because that was God's original design. Church, I'm here to tell you this morning, I've never met anyone that had the testimony of staying pure that said that they regretted it. In fact, I've seen the opposite. I've sat with countless people where they're broken because of some of the decisions they made in the area of their sexuality. I've seen the shame and the guilt and the things that they carry with them. I mean, even for me, I remember when I first started dating my wife, I had to have the conversation with her because my wife stayed pure her entire life. And I remember I had to tell her that that was not my story. It was one of the hardest conversations that I had to have. And we had to work through that. And, um, and right now, um, I want you to think about something though, okay? We could fully recover from just about any kind of dumb decision that we made in life, Amen. We could recover from a financial disaster and you could rack up a lot of debt and get into a lot of trouble, but with enough discipline and enough time, you can recover from dumb financial decisions, right? You can fail hard at the school thing. You'll make up your classes later and you could finish your education, right? You get fired from a job. You can get a new one later. Those things come and go. But, when, uh, but in the area of misplaced sexual intimacy, the consequences are almost, okay, almost impossible to recover from. Because when people allow lust to occupy their minds and control their actions, there's certain areas and certain things that they carry with them for the rest of their life. They got a shopping cart full of baggage and relationships and things that they brought into their future because of the decisions they made in their past, things that they bring into marriage. And our culture says it's not a big deal. Come on, pastor, I'm just test driving the car. You know, you got to kick the wheels a little bit. Come on, what are we talking about, right? And, uh, and, and they'll, they fall into this lie. What if, we're not in, what if we're not compatible? Come on, it was a party. It was a one-night thing. I don't even know her name. We're just, yeah, someone's laughing over there, right? Uh, are we talking about this in church? 100. Where else are we going to talk about it? We're just friends with benefits. There's no strings attached. Come on, it's consensual. We're not hurting anyone. As long as it's between us, it doesn't really matter. How about this one? We're going to get married anyways. So why don't you get married? And um, you know what? I, I've heard this a lot, uh, and especially from young people. I can make all my decisions right now. I just want to live a little. God will forgive me later. But church, we've fallen into a lie. What if he wants to bless you instead of forgive you later? What if he wants you to experience your best right now instead of having to wait years later where you have to suffer all the consequences? There's a big difference between forgiveness and consequences, church. And every single time we cross the line in the area of our sexuality, we carry stuff with us for the rest of our life. So if sex is no big deal, answer this. Then why is it that sexual abuse is so incredibly damaging? If it's no big deal, then why is it so painful? Why is it that there's so many homes that are broken because of adultery? Why is there so much emotional hurt and pain that was brought into people's adulthood? 
If it's no big deal, then why is it that some of our biggest regrets have to do with the area of sexuality? If it's not a big deal, then why is there so much hurt? And in fact, the Apostle Paul actually alludes to this. In 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 6, the whole, the whole entirety of the book, it's like Las Vegas on steroids, okay? The, 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 the city of Corinth, uh, they, they, they looked at sexuality and sex and all the things that, 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 that can fulfill you, that never satisfy, as a, as a moment of worship. And they used it as a worship experience. But he says, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits, it's outside of the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Oh, that word flee, there's a certain emotion that's attached to it. Paul says, or run, as in really fast in the opposite direction, okay? Don't try to reason with it. Don't try to flirt with it, but no, run. And every time you look at that word, the emotion that's attached to it is this idea of fear, okay? Many of you guys don't know this about me. I could do just about... Uh, anything, snakes, um, anything that doesn't kill me. But when it comes to like rattlesnakes, I'm gone. Okay, just, just don't, I, I don't deal with it. Another thing that, I, that I'm terrified of are scorpions. I remember growing up, my, uh, my grandparents, they were farmers and uh, they had a bunch of land and a bunch of uh, livestock. And I remember we would visit them every single year and we would spend a few weeks out there with them. And I loved it. I looked forward to it because every single morning we'd have to get up early in the morning. We'd milk the cows and we'd have to transfer the animals to a grazing field and, and we're out there. And uh, we would do this often. But I remember on one of the trips, we're st- me and my cousins were standing under this tree and we're watching all the cows graze. And my cousin, he's messing with the tree we're standing under. We're standing in three feet of grass, okay? And he's taking the bark off the tree. He has this stick and he's messing with it. And this scorpion, okay, like this big, a brown one comes out and the stick that he's poking it with, he's just like stinging that thing. And I'm looking at it and before you know it, the thing falls into the grass that we're standing in. You'd better believe I was gone. All you saw was like button elbows. I was out of there. I mean, they won't let me live that down till today. And I ran. Why? Because I was afraid of that thing. Fear causes you to flee. And I think that oftentimes we don't flee sexual immorality. It's because we don't fear it. Because we don't understand it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look at what Paul says. He goes, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? No, they did not know. It was part of their culture, and it had infiltrated the church. Hey, it's no big deal. Paul said nothing could be further from the truth. He says, don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the adulterers, nor the adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy nor those habitually drunk, nor verbal abusers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. All of that has to do with lust. It's selfish. And, 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 uh, and Paul tells us, don't be deceived. And the why has nothing to do with disease or unwanted pregnancy. He says that when we sin sexually, we sin against our own bodies. We're doing something to our humanity that God never intended. The Bible actually says you become one with the other person. It's the deepest form of communication. Whenever, we're, uh, whenever I'm walking people through premarital, I walk them through this. It's, it's this idea of oneness, that you become one spiritually, emotionally, and physically. 
And it's, and it's an incredible thing that God designed for you to experience with your partner in the context of marriage. But what Paul's saying is right here is that uh, if, you make, if you make sex casual, you're going to have a hard time making it meaningful. And a lot of people struggle later because they look at sex in a way that it was never meant to be looked at. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul tells us the same thing. He says, for this is the will of God. Have you guys ever prayed and asked God, what's your will? He says, this is the will of God. Your sanctification, that every single day you become more like Jesus. That when you gave your life to the Lord, you started on a process. And he began to purify you. And he began to restore you. And he began to make you new. He goes, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, there's that word again, like the Gentiles who do not know God. He's saying, for you who are people that claim to be Christ followers, stop acting like the culture. Let the word of God determine what your purity looks like. Let the, because why, why, why is it? Because we, we, wanna, we, wanna, um, we wanna focus on a, on a whole bunch of rules? No, because we believe that we agreed with God that his way is better. That's what it means to turn to God and agree with God, that we've agreed with him, that what he says about life or sexuality and everything is a lot better than our opinion. Can I get an amen? And everything, church, don't hear me out on this. Everything that was written in the Bible was for our benefit. It's not because God's trying to take your joy away. It's not because he's trying to take your fun away. It's because he has clear boundaries for you to experience that rich and satisfying life that he created you to experience. Uh, that word for sexual immorality is where we get the word uh, pornography. It's the word pornea. It's, it's, it's the root word of uh, pornography. And I know that some of us, we live in a culture right now, statistics say that 85% of people, it's probably higher since COVID, but 85% of people are actively watching pornography. That means like this whole section right here, all of us, okay? Right here. And, um, and if that's the case, let's talk about it. Because a lot of times we think it's not a big deal. But studies say that nothing could be further from the truth. And there's so much research outside stating otherwise. Look at what it says. Uh, Joseph J. Plod, a private clinical forensic psychologist, uh, clinical forensic psychologist, he says, uh, he studied pornography and its side effects. He says this, when people look at sexual imagery, dopamine floods their brain regions, causing an intense feeling of pleasure. And then he says, however, if that pleasure response gets triggered over and over with frequent doses of pornography or other sexual charged imagery, a person will need bigger hits to feel a response because it's less rewarding. It's that insatiable desire. You keep wanting more. It never satisfies and it keeps leaving you empty. In fact, studies say that porn is the highest reason for sexual dysfunction. And a lot of men and women struggle because they have fallen into a lie of what sex is supposed to look like. And um, guys, the enemy has thwarted something that was meant to be so beautiful. And porn and lust, it's selfish. Why? Because it requires no work on our part. And lust is always selfish. Why? Because it makes it about you and me fulfilling our desires. When it comes to God's standard, remember he said, love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love what? Your neighbor as yourself. It's, it's about making it other people. Lust is selfish, but when it comes to marriage and it comes to uh, uh, finding fulfillment in the context of marriage, you make it about the other person. The Bible actually says, see to it, if you're married, it means that we should be having the best sex ever. I mean, come on, we're about, we have three kids. Um, 
different sermon. Okay, um, and it says that we should be fulfilling our partner's desires, that my body's not my own. It belongs to my wife and vice versa. You see how lust makes it about you and what you can get out of it? Didn't you know that in a marriage context, you could also lust after your wife or your partner, and that's not okay? Why? Because you make them the object of your worship. You make it about control and about what you can get out of it. And it's always selfish. But God said, no, no, sex was supposed to be beautiful. It was supposed to be about oneness and intimacy, a way that you can truly relate to that other person and make it about that other person. And if you didn't catch my point, God isn't anti-sex, he's anti-hurt, and he wants the best for you. Let me say it one more time for the people in the back. God isn't anti-sex, he's anti-hurt, and he wants the best for you in all areas of your life. Amen. Two other areas. Uh, the first one is the lust. Uh, the second one is the lust of the eyes. The first one's the lust of the flesh. What is this? Jesus was tempted with this temptation when the enemy, when Satan took him to the top of the mountains, showed him all the kingdoms in the world, and said, "All of this could be yours if you would bow down and worship me." And Jesus reprimands him, said, "You shall worship the Lord your God only." Right? Uh, it's. It's this idea of vanity. We always want more, the latest and greatest. When we see something, we just gotta have it. And this is me trying to find happiness in the things that I can buy, right? Andy Stanley says it this way. We all live in the land of Ur. What does that mean? That we want to be richer, bigger, slimmer, better, buffer, prettier, more followers. When are we ever content? Every single time we start on this uh, crazy rabbit chase and, and, and this insatiable desire that we're giving into, it never satisfies and it causes us to compare ourselves to everyone around us. And we feel like the grass is greener on the other side. No, the grass is greenest where you water it. And if you're busy watering your grass, you're not going to be worried about everyone else's. Amen? In Psalm 119, 36, uh, David, David said this. He says, incline my heart to your testimonies. Incline, something that wasn't there to begin with. Incline, help me, help me have my, my attention and my focus on you and not to dishonest gain. Turn my eyes away from looking at what is worthless and revive me in your ways. In other words, turn my attention away from things that don't satisfy. The last thing is this, the boastful pride of life. Jesus, this is interesting to me because Jesus was tempted in this area when, uh, when Satan told him to cast himself off the pinnacle of the temple. In that moment, what he was saying is like, show people your power. Show people what you're all about because in the moment that they see that God rescued you, they're gonna know that you're all powerful. But it wasn't Jesus' time yet. And he didn't give in to that. And I don't know if you know this, but some people not only lust for sex, but they lust for power, for money, for control, for status and approval. Uh, in reality, what, what we're saying is we wanna be known. It's about, it's about image. And um, we live in a time, and I don't think this is new to us, but we wanna be better than our neighbors. And every single time our neighbor buys something, we feel like we wanna one-up them. I see this in family feuds all the time. Oh, your cousin got a house? Let's buy two houses. Oh, they got a Tesla? Let's get two of them too. Right? We always want better and more, and we want to be better than everyone around us. 
And that's the boastful pride of life, that, that we would be about power and status. I mean, come on, we live in a time of, uh, of influencers. Everyone's about their platforms and their social media feeds, right? I got 50,000 followers, I'm an influencer. I'm like, what are you influencing? Just because you got followers, I'm like, are you making a difference? And I'm, don't get me wrong, some people are. But we, we crave that. We want our platforms. There's actually a, um, a whole book in the Old Testament called the Book of Ecclesiastes that talks about all of the vanities in life. And um, a guy by the name of Solomon, King Solomon, uh, he dealt with all these three areas of lust, okay? But he was the wisest man that ever lived about 3,000 years ago, about 1,000 years before Jesus. He wrote 3,000 Proverbs. He was brilliant, okay? An engineer, an architect. I mean, he built the temple of God, one of the wonders of the world. And he had everything one could ever hope for. He had power, he had money, he had status, 300 wives, 700 concubines. Okay, um, that's a lot. Uh, houses, vacation, the whole nine yards. And at the end of his life, he asked himself this question. What is the meaning of life? Is it about money? Is it about sex? Is it about the big house? Is it about a great marriage? Is it about hard work? Is it about the vacations? What is it all about? Because I have all these things and I'm still empty. It's this insatiable desire that I've tried my whole life to fill and I still can't fill it. It's an empty chase. And at the end of his life, look at his conclusion. He says this in... Um, and verse 13 of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he says, the conclusion, when all has been heard, after talking about all of these vanities, all the things that don't satisfy, fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. Fear God, does that mean I have to be deathly afraid of him? No, it means that he has your ultimate attention, that he is the object of your desire, that he is first place in your life. At the end of my life, I realized that the only thing that matters, the, the thing that this world is searching for, status, popularity, all the things that don't satisfy, the one thing, the one thing that satisfies is God, because he created our desire. He created, to be, uh, created it to be completely satisfied in him. So at the end of the day, he says, fear God. Bless you. And, um, and keep his commandments. Let me talk to all the guys right now. Uh, if we've ever fallen into this category and, and we start doing the what ifs, if onlys, or, or the, if, if we start dealing with the if onlys, right? You're in a marriage relationship. If my wife would only have more sex with me. If I only had the bigger house. If I only had all of these things and the bigger truck and all the toys, then maybe I would fill the void that I'm feeling in my life. Look at what Solomon says. I had it all. And it doesn't matter. It always leaves me empty. And I went after it, and it was insatiable. There was nothing in this world that could truly satisfy. In fact, when you look at the life of Jesus, it was counterintuitive because he didn't give in to all the things. And why? The Bible says it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. That he did it for you and he did it for me. So, so what's the thing behind the thing? Uh, the, the, uh, the fix for lust would be selflessness because lust is about selfishness. And in Philippians chapter two, the, the apostle Paul writes about this. He says, uh, if, if there's any encouragement in Christ, 
If there's anything worth celebrating, uh, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, same purpose, looking at everyone else before yourself. That is the solution. And And then he goes, have this attitude that was in Christ Jesus, who endured the cross, and it was for the hope set before him. And, and if we truly want to be satisfied, it's about putting our affection and our attention into a source that could truly satisfy. And John ends this section, uh, verse 17. He says, the world is passing away and also its lust. In other words, it's all temporary. But the one who does the will of God continues to live forever. Because there are things in this world that will never truly satisfy you. And lust actually keeps you and me from all the things we truly need to be known and to be loved. And church, because we were created in God's image, when we don't have him as the center, we're always going to be longing for the only one that could fill that void. And it's only when you're in a true relationship with Jesus that you're able to truly be whole and satisfied because there's nothing on the outside that, that will satisfy you on the inside, not a bigger house, not more followers, not a right enough relationship besides the God who created you. So the question we're gonna have to answer this morning is who or what is gonna be the object of our desire? I heard, of a, I heard a story of a, of a pastor by the name of Mark Clark he said that when he was younger, one of his things that he loved to do was smoke cigarettes. He goes, I remember everyone used to always try to get me to stop. They would try to guilt me into it. Uh, even the government tried to do it. He goes, they started putting different images on the cigarette packages. Some of them would have teeth that were falling off, uh, uh, trying to demonstrate that you can get cancer. Some of them would have a bunch of sores on the tongue. And he goes, I would just walk in the store and says, hey, I want a pack of donkey teeth and one of, the, one of those uh, tongues that are like rotting out in the mouth. Give me one of those. And he goes, I would walk out because I used to love to smoke. But then it happened. He goes, then I met her. I met this girl and I liked her. And I liked her a lot. And she hated cigarettes. She hated the way that I smelt after I smoked. And because I liked her more than I did this, it forced me to stop. When my wife and I first started dating, no one had to force me to go spend time with her. In fact, I remember I went out and I found out that she was a Dodger fan. Come on, we're all the Dodger fans in here. Come on. Um, I went out and I bought a book on the history of the Dodgers. I read that thing in one day, okay? And it was because I wanted to spend more time with her and have more conversation around her. No one, no one had to force me to do that. And I think that for some of us, when it comes to this idea of lust, we feel, okay, so now what do I do? It means I gotta try harder. I gotta do more. And you leave empty every single time. Some of you guys have even thrown the towel in. I can't do this. I've tried. And I think that's our problem. We're focused on all the wrong things on our own power, what we can do, and how we can take control. But in reality, when your desire and your affection is for Jesus, no one has to force you to make decisions for him. Why? Because your motivation is love. And when you fall in love with someone, it changes everything. No one has to force you to stop having sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend. 
No one has to convince you to stay in your marriage. No one has to convince you not to cheat on your spouse, not to gossip, not to slander, because he has your heart. So church, let me ask you, is your heart still in it? Or has it wandered to all the worthless things? Because when you set your affection on that desire to grow grow closer to the Lord, it changes everything. Maybe you're sitting in here this morning and, um, and you've never met the Lord. And you've been on this uh, rabbit chase looking for that, that true fulfillment in everything this world has to offer. And I'm glad that you came to church this morning because I believe you have a God who wants to satisfy that need in your heart. But maybe you're in here and you're a Christ follower and for some reason you felt as if you could serve God and everything else. But you know you're empty. You know, you know that you're not truly satisfied. And your heavenly father was saying, if you would just trust that my way is better, your life would be so much better. But pastor, that takes a lot of work. Yes, our faith is not opposed to effort. We have to be intentional to not fill up on all the wrong things. Because when you're hungry, any bitter thing is sweet. But God says, will you just trust? I don't know where you find yourself in your faith this morning. Maybe there's some of you guys in here that... um, something happened to you that wasn't your fault. And you're probably thinking to yourself, well, what does that mean for me? I want you to know something. You got a heavenly father who knows how to restore. I mean, he created something out of nothing, okay? He could bring healing. He could bring restoration. And I believe if something happened to you that was not your fault, that your heavenly father wept over that situation. And he doesn't want you to walk as a victim any longer. He wants you to walk in freedom. And he could bring true healing. And I don't know where you're at in your faith this morning. Maybe you're like, I've had made all of these decisions in my sexuality or I went after all the things. You have a God who can restore. The Bible actually says everyone who's in Christ Jesus is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. You got a heavenly father who could give you a fresh start today. You're like, but pastor, I've already made all those decisions. I haven't been pure, but you could start today. Just agree with God that his way is better. And, and, and his promise is that I will give you a rich and a satisfying life. And we cannot find that outside of a relationship with Jesus. You can't live your purpose. Amen. We can clap for that. Church, if you didn't hear anything today, I want you to know that your heavenly father, he's for you. He wants you to live a life full of purpose and meaning. And it's not wrong wanting all of these other things. But the promise is if we put him in his his kingdom first, that all these things will be taken care of. But we get distracted. We focus on the wrong things. Jesus said, put me first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And I don't know where you find yourself in your faith this morning, but I want to give us an opportunity to respond. You have a heavenly father who desires relationship with you. And if you're not experiencing that to the fullest, where you're experiencing him in a real way, then this morning's for you. 
Lord, I pray for everyone that came this morning. I ask, God, that your Holy Spirit would begin to stir in all the hearts. I pray, God, that you would bring, uh, begin to do what only you can do, bring restoration, bring healing. I pray, God, for those that have been in bondage, God, that you would truly break the chains in their life this morning, God, that they would know that there's a heavenly Father that, that could do the impossible in their life. You could give them what they truly want, but they gotta trust. And I pray, Father, that you would, um, in this moment, meet them right where they're at. God, for the person that came in this morning and, and in reality, um, they were about to walk out on their marriage because they felt unsatisfied. I pray, God, that you would let them know that there's still hope and that you could truly satisfy. God, I pray for those that were invited to church or here for the first time or have never, ever entered into a relationship with you. God, I pray that you would give them the courage to know that your way is better and that you have an incredible plan for them. God, for those that have, for some reason, fallen away or aren't close to you, I pray that you would give them the courage to come back that they would know that you're waiting with open arms, Lord. And right now, with everyone's eyes closed, if you're right with God, do me a favor, pray for those around you. But if you've never given your life to Jesus, or if you wanna come back to him, I wanna lead you through a prayer. After I lead you through the prayer, I'm gonna ask you to do something. Something happens when you make this decision known. I'm gonna ask you to let go of your seat, make your way to an aisle or to the stairs, come up here to the front and make your way over to our living room. Our leaders, they wanna give you a Bible, they wanna give you some material so that you can grow in your relationship with God, but something happens when you make this decision known. So if that's you right now, what I wanna do is I wanna pray. Actually, church, let's pray this prayer out loud together with everyone in the room so that they know they're not alone. Say, Father God, I know that you love me and I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for me, to forgive me of all my sin, and to heal me of all my hurt. Right now I say yes to you. I ask that you'd fill me with your love and that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit. I give you my life and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, let's praise God for all the decisions. Thanks again for joining us. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus today, we hope you'll text AMEN to 77247 so we can provide you with the resources to help you on this journey. If this message resonated with you or you need prayer for something, would you let us know in the comments below? Our team reads every comment that comes through and we love interacting with you. If this message added value to your life, click the subscribe button and turn on post notifications so that you'll never miss out on a new message. We're live on Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. right here online and Sundays at 9 a.m. and on demand anytime after that. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time.